Please remember, conversations during EY podcasts should not be relied upon as accounting, tax, legal investment, nor other professional advice. Listeners must consult their own advisors. I think every organization has to embrace conscious leadership when it comes to equality. No matter what your rank, no matter what your organization is, everyone can be a champion of that equality from where you are at school to after your retirement. And we need to teach this to our children. And corporate has a role in this. There's no business without equity. The reality is that there are so many beautiful things happening, so many unsung champions that are just putting their little bit to build a better world. And there are many, many beautiful stories happening all around the world, including with my dear Julie and with all the people that are fighting for these fights <laughs> because we have mission and I love people with mission. Truth is, humanity can save itself and our planet. And right at this very moment, there's someone who's taken on this challenge and is on a path to solving an incredibly tough global problem. This podcast was created to tell you about them. You're listening to Better Heroes, a show from the global EY organization about the untold stories of entrepreneurs devoting their lives to impactful innovation. And I'm your host, Matt C. Smith. Over the past two episodes of Better Heroes, we've heard from impact entrepreneurs who are solving the world's toughest problems with unique solutions. But they can't do it all alone. In this episode, we dive deeper into the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion with Julie Teagland and Gabriela Ramos. Julie is EY's EMEA Area Managing Partner, and Gabriela is Assistant Director General for Social and Human Sciences at UNESCO. To solve global problems, the private sector has to work with the public sector. Countries have to work across borders, and businesses, both small and large, have to band together. With Julie and Gabriella's help, we'll look at the barriers that face DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and we'll look at how everyone can take part in driving solutions. As always, we kick off the show by learning more about what drives our guests. I grew up with a very, very strong mother. My mother had four children. Back in the 1950s was also a hairdresser, a learned hairdresser. She quit her job when she got pregnant. And after having those four children, she decided to go back to school. My mother became an engineer and was one of the world's first engineers working in design engineering for one of the largest OEMs. She was a hero. My mom really pioneered the way. And along that way, she gave me quite a bit of values around diversity and inclusion and what it means and the tough times actually sharing those stories around the dinner table that she had. I have a daughter. I have four children, Matt, but one daughter. I want to make sure that she doesn't have to wait till her grandkids to have an equal chance for everything she wants to do in life. And so that's why I'm really passionate. I wouldn't say it's the date of my daughter's birth, but I've been passionate for a long time, my friend. So a strong role model, Julie. That's sort of the takeaway I've taken from that, which is interesting because you've obviously become a very strong role model yourself. I hope so. I, I try. I think role model is such a big thing. My mother was clearly one for me. 
I hope I can do the same for others, but I am really resonant of the responsibility that we have in our generation, Gabriella, you and I, to lead the way for others to have it easier as they look to do whatever they want to do. And that's what I think it's about. It's not about becoming any one thing. It's about having the possibility to do whatever you want. So well said. I think that's a perfect intro into Gabriella and your work with UNESCO, which is all about achievement of social inclusion and gender equality. It's always something that I'm curious about, again, this pivotal moment. Was there a pivotal moment in your background and your past where you thought, wait a minute, this is unjust. I have to take a step, Gabriella. Well, I guess it's uh, always starting with the family, as Julie mentioned. If you have a family where there is no tolerance for people living with no dignity, you just learn it by watching what your parents does. Not only in terms of embedding this idea that you need to fulfill your full potential, which I feel is exactly the same as Julie. My, my parents, my mom and my dad were always like, you will reach the skies, but also you will reach the skies to serve others and not to be immune when people suffer. And I come from Mexico, where inequality is really everywhere. And when I moved to France 15 years ago, I thought, well, I'm going to get into very egalitarian society. Surprise, surprise. Even the most advanced economies have these cleavages between those that have everything and those that have nothing, that you cannot stand idle. And therefore, since I started my work 25 years ago, I have been focusing on how do we ensure that we have fairer societies. And I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to work now with T.G. Azulay here at the Social and Human Sciences because it's right at the core of the debate today, because we need scientific evidence to define how do we avoid the major trends, climate inequalities, demography, digital, continue producing societies that are unsustainably divided. And that's what drives me. But more than anything, when you look at kids that don't have a chance in life, when you look at the young people that with their full potential, they cannot really get their fair chance in life, I think that moves you, and this is what has been pushing me to be where I am and looking for the jobs that I have, and also with the very strong gender component. Back to Julie's point there about giving the opportunity to those and everyone and having equal access, I believe it's one of the sustainability development goals, equal opportunity and access to all, to work, to social ability. But Gabriela, so social inclusion, how do you define social inclusion? Well, I would say that it's exactly the opposite of what we have now. <laughs> if you have the top income earners getting 50%, 60% of the GDP or 80% of wealth, and you have girls in Afghanistan not being able to go to school, uh, something is really wrong. I want you to listen closely for just a second. Equity is a global issue. Even if we make progress in one part of the world, we have to make sure that no one is left behind. Therefore, for us, for UNESCO, social justice means societies where everybody lives with dignity and has fair chances. And that's why when you see the agenda that we have here at the Social and Human Science, of course, UNESCO has education, has culture, has uh, many other contributions to make. But in particular, my sector is looking at the chances for people. We're looking at how do we support youth development. We're looking at how do we help gender or women's development. 
We're looking at how to counter racism and discrimination with the big global forum. We're looking at ethical development of technologies, but ethical has to do with fair outcomes, non-discriminatory outcomes, and with changing mindsets. We're even using sports <laughs> to advance this agenda, but the whole point is how do we ensure that the opportunities that are created by our modern economy, but by this amazing, innovative global economy that we have, can be distributed in the fairer way. And this is about policies, this is about evidence, and this is about some empathy, some compassion, and some policies that will help us to build bridges between people. Gabriela, just a follow-up to you about these methodologies and policies you mentioned. What can we adopt to help push forward inclusion and, and these anti-discrimination agendas? Well, let me tell you that there are several tools that we have for doing so. First, of course, we need to recognize that probably the way we have been developing economic policies in the last three decades, just focusing on efficiency and, and, and providing markets with the full scope for, for development, the globalization process. I don't think this is really as well developed as it should, considering equality and sustainability. So first of all, we need to change the metrics that we use to measure economic and social progress. And this is something that Secretary Guterres in his common agenda is calling everybody to do. Antonio Guterres is the Secretary General of the UN. He launched the common agenda in 2021 at the UN's 75th anniversary. It sets out goals and initiatives for the next 25 years that he says could make or break the future of our planet. Gabriella agrees that a renewed focus and effort towards equality is crucial. We need to move away from GDP and GDP per capita because it really blurs everything that is wrong. You cannot see the distributional impact, but you can neither see the environmental impact. And therefore, the metrics that we use should go beyond and needs to be multidimensional. But on the other hand, I think that we have been focusing too much on maximizing profits. And this is also to the call of business, the shareholder value, the maximizing consumption, maximizing production without, again, taking a look at distributional impact and at environmental disasters that we have with the climate change. And therefore, I think that first and foremost, the methodology needs to change. In my program, that is the, man the Managing of Social Transformation, we released a report on resilient societies calling for equality and sustainability to be prioritized when taking decisions. But we're also looking at people and we're looking at specific rights of people to develop their own capacities. And therefore, I think it's also important that we, we put people at the center, not numbers, not general ideas, it's just people. How do they fare? And how do we ensure that we provide with the support systems? And we are calling also for a new social contract because we saw it with COVID. Half of the population in the world were not protected. Half of the population of the world did not have health services, did not have employment protection systems, did not have... I mean, this really requires a full rethought on how do we build the policies and the institutions that will serve better people? And how do we ensure that the benefits of growth are better distributed and actually in a way that is not top-down approach, but also listening to what all these stakeholders have to say. And this is what we're trying to build here at UNESCO with all of our programs. 
I think that's so well said, Gabriella, and maybe the perfect transition to you, Julie, and obviously from the business context, the corporate angle there. Now, I know you're very active and as an organization, EY is as well in favor of all those changes, the the rule rewriting you just mentioned, Gabriella. But I wanted to take some context away from that social inclusion and put it back to that gender economic gap, Julie, and, and get some context for everyone, all of us listening to this. What is this global gender gap? The global gender gap around the fact that women are not afforded equal opportunity across the world, whether that's in terms of the opportunity, in terms of pay, in terms of economic, social, financial, the entire package is not set on an even standard. That is the global gender gap. And actually, Matt, in the context of the work that's done with the World Economic Forum, it's measured each year in terms of how long it would take based on the plane of changes from a legal, from a policy perspective, how long it will take for us to reach a level of equal opportunity. And right now, that gender gap is measured way over 120 years. And I I know the WEF this year will come out with some new studies, but I don't expect that to have changed dramatically unfortunately, since the last one. That was my follow-up question. Do you think there have been any significant movements and changes? And then a follow-up to that would be why? Why have we not made any changes? Was COVID the reason? Are we blaming that? What have been the issues that have prevented us from actually progressing and reducing that number, which I'd just like to reiterate for a second? 120 years is the current estimate. However, every time I speak about this estimate, I feel like it actually increases. (laughs) It's true, it increases, but I I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that we have reached some positive change. I think the fact that you're doing this podcast with Gabrielle and I in the roles that we have demonstrate that there is change. There's just not equal measure of change across the globe. And Gabriella is definitely the queen of all the statistics around this. But I can tell you that as we see some of the changes, we have to take into account what's happened the past year. COVID has had a dramatic effect on the global gender gap. More women are responsible for the home care, whether that's for children or parents, which is by definition unpaid home care than anyone else in society. And that alone has a drag both on GDP to Gabriella's comment before us to why it's not an inadequate, why it's an inadequate measure, but also in terms of providing that equal opportunity and giving women an equal chance to take part in the economy. Now, I also want to be straight. Not all of the changes that are required just have to do with economics. Some have to do with legal environment, with human rights, with possibilities on this angle as well. And so there's a lot of work to do on all fronts. But I I don't want to take away from the fact that we have made progress. It's just not fast enough and not deep enough, Matt, for it to be really effective. And, And I think there's an example there of you as an organization trying to speed that, being a catalyst in it with... EY Women Fast Forward Initiative. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that, Julie? Yeah, our Women Fast Forward Initiative is something that we called into called into context around eight years ago, Matt. We put a giant ice block in Davos, actually, and said it would be faster for the ice block to melt than it would be for women to make progress. And we did it as a visual sign, but it was really our attempt to really get involved in saying we need to raise the issue that gender equality, it's not a nice to have, it's an economic imperative. The World Economic Forum holds its annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. It's a meeting of business and governmental leaders across countries and across sectors. 
It was important to EY and Julie to call attention to gender equality, to the leaders and changemakers present. Many of the women that we see, especially in the least developed countries, women are the economic drivers of the entire community. And so it's really important for us to to help support them. So what do we as EY do? Across the board, we've gotten involved, both politically, we're We engage at the W20s. I remember Gabrielle and I at one of the very first when it was called into formation to make sure that the issue was put in a global context on the agenda. But we equally support loads of entrepreneurs, Matt. We have a EY Winning Women program that supports entrepreneurs across the globe in order to help them network, to help them develop. We do quite a bit of supporting women on boards with education, nomination, community drive to help in that context. We're doing an amazing amount of work through our Women Fast Forward around the STEM app that we've launched, providing education to women, young women, age 13 onward to provide digital education. We have an EY Ripples program, which positively wants to impact 1 billion lives by 2030. and. That really means that we can reduce inequality through the time of our people who are dedicating part of their workday to social impact programs. Last year, we had 91,000 people of EY taking part in those programs. I am incredibly proud of that. All of our impact entrepreneurs that we've talked to and will talk to on Better Heroes are part of the EY Ripples program. Julie and Gabriella are calling on businesses around the world to take part in equity and inclusion work and build other social impact initiatives. I think every organization has to embrace conscious leadership when it comes to equality. No matter what your rank, no matter what your organization is, everyone can be a champion of that equality from where you are at school to after your retirement. And we need to teach this to our children. And corporate has a role in this. There's no business without equity. You talked, Julie, about this conscious leadership, being proactive in changing mindsets, if not changing, but educating first and allowing those minds to change in their own conscious ability. So how do we overcome these unconscious biases? The first place is self-awareness, right? Well, the fact is that this is something that I think that Julie and I and and many of, of the people and institutions that have been working on gender issues is very aware of because you can legislate equality, which is very important. Not all countries have legislated equality, even for gender or for LGBT or for groups that are marginalized. But first you need to legislate. You need to have the incentives. You have to have the policies. But if you don't change these cultural norms and these institutional settings that are reproducing the behavioral patterns that deliver the inequality I completely agree with you. I think that the fact is that we really need to be conscious about what kind of cultural norms are informing our behavior. And this has to do with gender, of course, as you said, is the behavioral differences between men and women, men being more competitive and taught to be more competitive and women to be more lenient and more understanding. These are learned behaviors that are just distributed across cultural norms everywhere around the world. There is no single country that doesn't have these gender biases. But on the other hand, you also have the question of racism and discrimination, because at the end, you start classifying people according to your own prejudices and you start essentializing them. 
because all of them are Muslims, because all of them are Jewish, because all of them are white, because all of them are. And then you confer your own denominations and explanations of how do they behave. So first and foremost, be aware and try as an institution, as an organization, as a country to make sure that everybody is aware of those prejudices because we all have them. We all have been taught in certain ways and to be comfortable with our identity, many times you have to neglect the identities of others to be more comfortable. And therefore it's very important that this is aware. But this is also important that we build the systems to counter them. We build a system where it's not okay to discriminate based on gender, based on race, based on origins, based on anything. Legislative and cultural change is essential to creating equity. To illustrate this point, Gabriella explains that female caregivers are often left behind by both society and governments. The UN's International Labour Organization, or ILO, has studies that show caregiving contributes to the economy in a major way. The work many women do at home is essential, but it often leads to a lack of financial independence. When we were in the COVID period, we got to see that the essential workers were the more important ever. The health workers, the social workers, those that were in the service sector, those that were delivering the goods, taking care of the elderly, the youth, the kids, the schools, these are women that are performed in the care economy, paid or unpaid. When that is paid, it's very low paid. And it's wrong because it is the most important function that our society should be provided with in terms of supporting kids' development and supporting women to be in the jobs. But these are very low quality jobs. And on the other hand, they're not paid. And the ILO has really come with huge figures, trillions of contributions that women make to the economy by the unpaid work, by taking care of children, by taking care of the housework, by taking care of the elderly, non-remunerated. I don't know how can we depict a society that is more unfair than that. You're not paid. You do the job. You're beaten because violence against women is on the height. And then we need to change. We need to change. And for a start, I will say that we are working to try to make the unpaid work. And I did it when I was in the Council of Economic Advisors of Chancellor Scholz. We need to include this care economy work in the national accounts and remunerate, even if it is only symbolic, but to make sure that women that work so hard are not just neglected or ignored. At least taken care of in terms of pension, Gabriella. And you yes. know that I'm very... Very, very passionate of that. If you want to keep it unpaid for the current period, that's maybe that's okay. Maybe that's necessary for now, but it's clearly not in any way acceptable that they are not eligible for this time to be credited towards the national pension schemes. And that's where I feel like we are really cheating on both sides, not just the current, but also the future of those women. And that's what worries me, even for developed economies. And totally, because developed economies are the ones that have the numbers, but it's exactly the same in the informal economy where women are overrepresented. But on top of it, Julie, even those that quote for their pensions because of the breakups in their careers, because of the lower paid, because of the lower contributions, they finish with 30 or 40% less pension contributions than men. And it's only because they're taking care of the family, which should be something that is shared. And my goal here, Mark, will be to say 
men stand up <laughs> and also take up your responsibilities regarding the care economy. We only need to go back so many tens of years to experience a very different world. Common racial opinions, prejudice opinions towards gender, right? Pay and equality. So each generation that progresses, has children, uh, etc., and moves on, does maintain some of those generational chains. So I was raised with maybe if you went back three, four generations, 12.5% of the mindset of my great-grandfather, for example, right? My, who raised my grandfather, then raised my father, who raised me, and I plan to raise children one day. I look forward to that very much. But I feel like we're at that point in time now where we have to break the chain. Now, you talk about that mentality, creating conscious leaders. How do we break that chain? And do we start, in your examples, for both of you having strong parents who placed value in you identifying as women in the workplace, going down governmental routes, going down business routes? How do we break that chain going forward? Who's responsible for breaking the chain? I think we are responsible. I personally don't want to let our generation off the hook, Matt, and say it's the next, we're going to pass the buck. We are responsible. As leaders, we have a responsibility, whether you're in business, whether you're in government policy, to act. I do think we have to break the chain because if the progress continues the way it's been, to be honest, it's glacial at best. It's a slow, very slow moving glacier it's not going to get us where we need to go. And I think how to break the chain. I actually think we all need to look in the mirror to the point that you were raising before about unconscious bias. That's the piece that everyone can do. I think when it comes to leaders, I think leaders need to make sure that they're doing more than just stopping unconscious bias, that they are contributing to positive equity across the board. And that goes a long way to what Gabriella was saying, moving from a shareholder capitalism to a stakeholder capitalism, which means building positive social equity in your organization. You cannot just follow the profitable route and think that you're the hero and you've done anything. You have to give back not only to your customers, not only to your employees, but to the wider society. I think that's crucial. And I, I think there's a third component to this. And I think this is the place where Gabriella is doing absolutely amazing work. I think we need to make sure that we're building not only each person, not only each company, but we're building a wider societal ecosystem that includes policy and laws that enable equity. And today, I, I have to say, and it's not just in the least developed countries. Across the board, we do not even have the legal frameworks to allow this. Julie emphasizes that equity work needs to be done by individuals, businesses, and by governments. So Matt, I think it's really wonderful. I, I've spent the last 30 years across Europe living in fantastic places where we have less of a problem. But I say less of a problem. In some places, women have legally the value less than a carpet. In some places, they do not have access to financial instruments like a credit card, a bank account. And think of what people are today if you're not allowed to get your own telephone. I think these are real issues that we have to demand, all of us need to demand, that policymakers take action on. And so I think there are three things. Everyone plays a part to do the small exercise that you say. Know yourself. We love to look for people that look like us. 
we need to break that. We need to challenge companies to do their part above and beyond getting profits. And we need to challenge our policymakers and our governments to do the right thing, to set the ecosystem, to set the frameworks that allow us to achieve that. And that's not only in a legal perspective, it's also financial and economic. And we do not have those today. The representation of women on boards, the equal pay, the disclosures that we're asking for on disability. I can give you a million examples. We do not have an equal ecosystem playing field. And Gabriella, I'm sure you have a lot more to add on that, but that would be my big, my big three, Matt, in terms of, no, we can't pass the buck. I completely agree with Julie. I think that just look at uh, the kind of world we have built. And I feel that even though we have been trying to push for inclusive societies and outcomes, we are at a very, very dangerous point in the sense that the financial crisis, 2008, COVID crisis, now we are with the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, food crisis, inflation, all of those things are affecting more those at the bottom. All of these people that feel that life has been unfair are producing outcomes in our democratic processes that have been given raise to populism and to very different ways of governments that are not open as we want them. And therefore, the world is complex. But I also think that in building those solutions, we need to listen to others. And I feel one group that deserves to be listened, and I say it with conviction because my sector is also in charge of youth policies, is young people. In our 50-something offices all around the world, at UNESCO, we have seen how much young people go and deliver for good. They build their own social impact NGOs. They help the neighbor. And I think that we should build from them because I feel that they have a lot to tell us and we need to get them into the table. And if we have half of the population being less than 30 years old, but only few of them represented in the parliament or in the Congress people or on the legislative action, I think that we are not making a great service. As Julie also mentioned, the more diverse your teams, the more diverse the discussions, the more open to listen to the views of very different stakeholders and groups of people, the more we might get solutions right. And we really are in a very deep need to get the solutions right. More diverse input, more diverse output. Quick question, quick answer, if you don't mind. Julie, what gives you hope? Oh, the young people that Gabriella just mentioned give me hope. The power of technology gives me hope. The focus on sustainability gives me hope. Matt, we can do everything when we put our minds to it. And COVID demonstrated that, right? Never before has so much innovation done so much good in such a short period of time. You put those young people, give them the right skills, the right power, the right empowerment, and I'm confident we can do anything we need. And technology is fueling that, tempered by our focus on sustainability. I think we have a huge opportunity putting humans at the center and allowing that technology to take force. Things like like AI that are changing the world, I think that's going to help us go further faster. So I'm not giving up. And I'm certainly not satisfied with those 120 years. I think we can do this. And that's my message also to the young people listening to your podcast. Get engaged, get active. We can make a real difference. Create a ripple. 
Gabriella, same question to you. What's giving you hope today? I would say Dito. <laughs> I really think Julie got it right. This is uh, young people really gives me hope. Young girls, young, young boys that are really taking issues in their hands and delivering concrete messages. If you think about the fact that all these, for example, the manifestations in Iran, the migrants that come to the rescue, the, the, these are young people, very young people, and therefore we need to give them a chance. But I'm also hopeful that science will help us. And social and human sciences are really needed. And I, I don't say it as a self-serving because I'm in the social and human science at UNESCO, but the reality is that if we want to get it right on the diversity, inequality, sustainability, we need to have a more multidisciplinary approach. And that's what we are also pushing. We cannot just go for silos. We need to integrate the analysis in a complex system to understand that the digital, the economic, the climate, the gender, all of these things are compounded and we need to understand the drivers. And finally, civil society give me a lot of hope. I think that is not as reported as it should. We always see these headlines that get us very, very worried. But the reality is that there are so many beautiful things happening, so many champions, unsung champions that are just putting their little bit to build a better world. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they will have more prime time than the bad news that we always get in the news. But there are many, many beautiful stories happening all around the world, including with my dear Julie and with all the people that are fighting for these fights <laughs> because we have a mission and I love people with mission. Gabriella, Julie, thank you so much for, as I said, enlightening us on this journey to understand and better move and mindsets and shift unconscious biases away from gender inequality and improve our social inclusion. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, from everyone at this podcast. Better heroes. Talk to you soon. So that's it. Thank you all for joining me, Matt C. Smith, on this episode of Better Heroes. You can learn more about Gabriella at unesco.org slash inclusive policy lab. You can learn more about Julie at ey.com. And you can learn more about EY Ripples and all of our impact entrepreneurs at ey.com slash EY Ripples. The links are in our show notes. Hey, before you go, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Better Heroes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also rate and leave our show a review to help others find out about the amazing work of our impact entrepreneurs. We'd like to thank our podcast producers, Human Group Media, who helped us bring this show to life. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. Better Heroes is a project of EY Ripples, a global program to mobilize people across the EY network to help solve the world's most urgent social and environmental challenges. By extending EY's skills, knowledge, and experience to impact entrepreneurs on a not-for-profit basis and forging collaborations with like-minded organizations, EY Ripples is helping scale new technologies and business models that are purposefully driving progress towards the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. The views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the global EY organization or its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time that they were made. <laughs>